Well, thank you, Dave and worship team, for the wonderful music this morning, and uh, thank you for being here. I've got to admit something. The message today is not a Mother's Day message. Uh, we're going to be looking in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 7 through 21, but I think it could be a Mother's Day message because it, we're talking about love, knowing love and showing love, how we can know love and identify uh, those that are children of God because of love. And so I think that, you know, most of the time, no one exemplifies love any better than a mother. Amen? So I think it could uh, be a Mother's Day message. But if you have your place, uh, look with me in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 7 through 21, okay? 7 through 21. <clears throat> Beloved, Let's love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this... Is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we remain in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, we also are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out or casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. And Lord, as we examine your truth this morning, we pray that you would speak through us. And Lord, we realize this morning that if any good thing is to come from this service, 
that it must come from your spirit. So we pray, Lord, that you would move and work in our hearts, that you would teach us truth, that your truth would be instilled in our lives, that we may be better servants of yours, and that you would receive all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We will talk about love, and I just want to say that the world is very interested in love. In fact, a few weeks ago, I had mentioned the fact that we have something that everyone wants, and that is love. And God has loved us. He has shared his love with us so that we can share it with others. And so love is, is important. Love is something that the world is interested in, and love has its own, own genre. Uh, among literature and media and music, people read about love on the pages of the paper. They search the internet uh, for love. Dr. Phil analyzes love. Oprah shares her philosophy about love. Uh, music is all about love. I was thinking about every decade there's always been songs. If, there was, if it wasn't for love, music wouldn't have anything to sing about. Amen. Uh, now I don't. I didn't live in the fifties, but in the fit, I didn't even. I wasn't even thought about in the fifties. Let me just say. And I look out. I see some of you. You know a lot about the fifties. Uh, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about the fifties. Yeah, I've got some brothers that were born then. But every every generation, every decade has had its music. Right in, in the fifties, the monotone sung a song. Who wrote the book of love? Well, I can answer that. God wrote the book of love. Amen. I hope you have a copy of it in your hands right now. Uh, who wrote in the sixties? The Beatles said, "All we need is love." Yeah. Uh, in the seventies, Johnny Lee was looking for love in all the wrong places. Amen. Um, in, in the 80s, and this was my mother's favorite song, by the way, a, a band called Foreigner wrote a song that I want to know what love is. And in the 90s, Whitney Houston said that she would always love you. In the 2000s, Taylor Swift had a love story about Romeo and Juliet and baby just say yes, right? Uh, in 2010, Justin Bieber uh, would take his chances as long as you love him. And so the world is very interested in love. And, and, and I can tell you today that the search for love is over. Uh, you found it right here in the Word of God. You found it in the person of Jesus Christ. You can find love in the Word of God. But it's not found in popular music or secular uh, literature, it's not found on Tinder or Bumble or Match.com or Christian Mingle. Dr. Phil or Oprah can't explain it to you. It's found right here in God's Word. And so today I want us to look at three identifiers, okay? Three ways that we can identify or know what love is, okay? So are you ready? The first is this. Love is a distinguishing mark. Love is a distinguishing mark. I want you to look back with me in verse 8 and listen to what John says. And by the way, again, let me remind you, when I say John, I mean John said it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means that God said it through John, okay? And so it's not some man's opinion 
but it's God's word to us, okay? And so look at verse 8. He says this, The one who does not love does not know God. And so he's saying we can tell the difference between true believers and false believers because of their love. And so it's a distinguishing mark. Love is a trait that we receive from our Heavenly Father at our spiritual birth. And so it's a distinguishing mark. It's how we tell true believers from false believers. In Galatians chapter 5, we know that chapter very well. It speaks about the works of the flesh, and it gives us this laundry list of the works of the flesh. But then it tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, love. Now, it gives us nine different things. It doesn't mean there's nine different fruits of the Spirit. There's only one fruit of the Spirit, but it has nine different flavors. Amen? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, contentment, all those things are fruit of the Spirit. This one fruit with nine different flavors, but the first is love. Love. And, And so it's a characteristic that we get from our Heavenly Father at our spiritual birth. The Holman Illustrated uh, Bible Dictionary defines love this way. Love is unselfish, loyal, benevolent intention and commitment towards another. In other words, love is not inwardly focused, but outwardly focused. I think that 1 John chapter 13 verses 4 through 8 really capture this idea of how love is is outwardly focused. It it gives us two things that love is. And let me say this in a real country way and a bunch of things that it ain't. Okay? And and here's what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 verses 4 through 8. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked, does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It keeps ever confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never And so it tells us that love, uh, a couple of things that it isn't, a bunch of things that it isn't, and it's this nature of unselfishness. Uh, It looks outwardly, not inwardly at everything. John says that this kind of love is from God and that it flows from his nature and character into ours because God is love. In other words, God is perfect Love and we we become his children. His love flows through our lives, and so it's a distinguishing mark. Now, there's some things that that love enables us to do as the children of God. This love enables others to see Christ in us. I'm going to tell you if 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 you're void of love, you're not going to reflect Jesus Christ. Amen. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another shows that we are followers of Christ. 
Not only does it do that, but our love for one another shows that we are the children of God in fact. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45, we know it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest message that has ever been preached by the greatest preacher that has ever preached, which was Jesus Christ. And, and he said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Listen, so that you may prove yourselves to be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's saying you love like God and people will know that you are the children of God. Now to lack love, to lack love is to labor in vain. The Bible teaches us that if we try to do what we do as a Christian without love that we labor in vain. Look again with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 and Paul is driving this home. Now if we really put that in the context, he's speaking to a greatly uh, uh, spiritually equipped church. He says, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. I mean, you've got every gift that God can give to a church. But they were lacking in love. And so he writes and he says this. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. And so without love, uh, what we do, we do in vain. But also as we think about love, one other thought as we think about this distinguishing mark, is love, if we lose love, we lose our evangelistic edge. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is given his motivation for being an ambassador of Christ. And he says this, he says, For the love of Christ controls me. Now I love the way the King James Version renders this. It says, The love of Christ constrains me. And what he's saying is the love of of Christ is compelling me to share Christ with others. And so when we lose our love, we lose our evangelistic edge. A church that doesn't love one another, doesn't love the lost, is not going to share with the lost. And so we need this love of God flowing through us. It is our distinguishing mark. John says that this love, it comes from God. Now that's an interesting statement. He, he's get, here's something that we, you learn in, as you take theology, and you, any of you that's studied much, you've probably heard this. All truth is God's truth. Have you heard that? All truth is God's truth. Well, the idea is that if anything is true, regardless of who spoke it, 
All truth belongs to God. So any truth, whether it comes from science or, or wherever, all truth is God's truth. John's saying here that love comes from God. So all love comes from God. Now, now we need to balance that out. Love is a distinguishing mark that sets us apart as children of God. And love is like truth. And all truth comes from God. And all love comes from God. But everyone that tells the truth is not a child of God. Amen? And everyone that loves and shows love is not a child of God. But what John is saying, those who confess to know God and don't love are liars. And those who, those who speak truth or confess to know truth but don't acknowledge the greatest truth that Jesus is the Son of God, they are liars. And so you can tell the truth and not be a child of God. And you can love and not be a child of God. But all truth comes from God and all love comes from God. Now it's important that I say something here because here's an idea in the world today that needs to be corrected. The idea is that love and truth are incompatible with one another. Yeah. That if I love, then I won't confront you with the truth. Well, that's the opposite. You know, my mother loved me. And we, we're talking about mothers today, right? So I can talk about mine a little bit. My mother loved me enough to burn my bottom side when I did wrong. Now, I'm going to tell you, there was times that I thought, I don't know if she loves me or hates me right now. But you know, the, the reason behind what she did was not to get even for me for making her mad or something. But she did it because she wanted me to be an ethical, productive, Christian human being. And so she loved me and she confronted me with truth and corrected me. And that's the only way that love and truth can work in tandem. And the idea today that, that, that we can endorse something that is wrong in the name of love is not love. We don't endorse what's wrong in the name of love. That's not love. But the Bible commands us in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 to speak the truth in love. Right? In love. And so those two work together. Love is a distinguishing mark. You still with me? Give me one of these right here. All right. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, love, second thought, is a dynamic force. A dynamic force. Look in verse 18. Listen to what it says. Verse 18 said, There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. In other words, he's saying, Love has this ability... To drive out, to cast out all fear. That, that fear literally, our love drives out this fear. It has this dynamic power. And when we think of love, we, we think of frail, fragile, romantic love, don't we? And, it, and at times it is that, but that's not all it is. John is saying that love has this power. Huey Lewis spoke about the power of love, didn't he? You remember that one? Makes some men glad, makes some men sad. 
Yeah. Um, turns a hawk into a little white dove. I mean, the power, that's the power of love. And, and love is powerful. And, and John is saying that it has this dynamic power of driving out fear in a person's life. Now, the version of love that we hear of today is quite different than the love that is being spoken of in Scripture. Today's version of love is passion without persistence. Passion without persistence. I I will love you until something about you or me changes. Just this week we heard about Bill and Melinda Gates. They've been married for 27 years and they're divorcing. Did y'all hear that? See that on the news? Okay. The grounds for that divorce is that they no longer grow one another or, or as a couple they are no longer growing. Isn't that interesting? I mean, their love just kind of fizzled out, you could say. The Bible speaks about God's love for us, and that's the love that we should have for others, that he pursues us with a persistent, everlasting love. In Jeremiah, he says, I have sought you with an everlasting love and drawn you with tender cords of mercy. This love that God has for us is an everlasting, persistent pursuit. He loves us, and that's the kind of love that we're supposed to have. Today's version of love is self-seeking instead of self-sacrificing. I love you because of how it makes me feel or look rather than genuinely caring for or about you. It's a self-seeking instead of a self-sacrificing love. The biblical version of love is that... We lay down our life for a friend. Amen? That we, we love our spouses as Christ loved the church. That's the biblical kind of love. Today's love is, is sexual without being sensible. It's interesting to me that we call sex making love when the fact is, in our world, people engage in sex without any true commitment or, or compassion. Let me just take a moment here. I'm going to talk to the young people and maybe some of you older people. But uh, I I want to give a warning real quick about people that want to bed you without wedding you. You don't give yourself to someone unless they want to love you like Jesus. I want to give you some good advice, kids. Listen to me. You You don't go with anyone unless they want to love you like Jesus loves you. With a true love, a real love. Real love is not pushing the envelope of sexual desire. It is pushing the envelope of selfless affection, acceptance, forgiveness, and loyalty. You want someone whose love for you is not performance-based. Someone that vows their love for you and promises themselves to you forever. And somebody that you vow yourself to and promise yourself to forever. You want that kind of love in your life. Don't give your virtue to someone that wants to drink you down to satisfy their own thirst. You give your love and your virtue to someone that commits themselves fully and completely to you and loves you like Jesus loves you. Amen? And so I said, young people, but if that shoe fits, wear it. I don't care what age you are. You need people in your life that want to love you like Jesus loves you. The Bible speaks about love as a dynamic force. It has power to drive out. What does it drive out? 
Uh, it talks about the fact that it drives out the fear of punishment, uh, the fear of acceptance, and the fear of failure. I was thinking about this in a marriage relationship. You remember when you were dating? I mean, you were, oh, me. I hope they like me. I hope they're interested in the same things that I'm interested in. I hope I don't have to burp while we're on a date. You know, and you have all these fears, you know, around dating someone. And then after you're married and, and that relationship has, has come together and you're comfortable, you know that you're accepted by that person. Uh, you know that they love you. Uh, you know that, that, that no matter what happens, they're going to stand. You, you just belch all the time around them, right? And a lot of other things you probably shouldn't do. They, they would probably appreciate you didn't do. But it drives out. Perfect love drives out. And, and that's what John is saying here. Not just any love does that, but perfect love. In fact, four times he uses the word perfect are perfected and the idea behind that is that God is perfect in his love and we're to be as our father is that he is perfect therefore we should be perfect and so we should strive to be perfect in our love and so this love that we've secured from the father we need to share it with others and it drives out fear when we do that do you know what will change the looks of Hazelwood Baptist Church and the city of Hazelwood. Love. The, the, the love of God perfected in us will change our church, it will change our city, it will change our world. It's a dynamic force. Now, here's the point you've been waiting on, the last point, okay? Uh, it's a distinguishing mark. It's a dynamic force. But love is deliberate actions. Deliberate. Look in verse 10. Man, this is, a, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. It would do your heart good to memorize this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Look in verse 10. In this is love. He's saying, do you want to know, know what love is? This is what love is right here. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. And so what is he saying? He's saying that, that love is much easier spoken than it is lived. And that God, he, his love for us wasn't a superficial, emotional love, but God expressed his love for us in what he did for us. Love is actions. It's deliberate actions. He sent his son, it says, because of his love, God sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Now, perpetuation is one of those million-dollar words. It, they use perpetuation. It's been used a couple of times here in First John. It's used one time in, in Romans. And the reason they use the word, even though we don't use it very often, is there's not another word that would actually say everything that perpetuation says. And so he says that God loved us so much that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does he mean by that? It means that God put his love in action and he did some things for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. 
And so what were those things that he means by perpetuation? I want to give you three, three ideas. And the first one is this, appeasing. You see, the Bible teaches us that we are justified through faith. And now we have peace with God. In other words, our sin brought upon us the wrath and the punishment and the liability and the judgment of God in our lives. And through Jesus' sacrifice for us, laying down his life for us, he became the appeasing sacrifice for God's perfect righteousness. And so he appeased God's need for justice on our behalf. We couldn't do that. The only way we could do that is through death. But Jesus came as a man and died for every one of us so that man could ta- he could taste death for all of mankind so that you and I could be set free from the penalty of death. And so he appeased God's need for righteousness. But also, perpetuation gives the idea of this cleansing sacrifice. You remember in chapter 1, verse 7, it says if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. The idea is that Jesus washed away every sin. When God looks at us, he sees us in Jesus. And we are pure, we are right, we are clean before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. So perpetuation gives this idea of appeasing God's need for justice, cleansing us before a holy God, but also it gives the idea of sufficiency. What Jesus did for us was enough. We, we, I mispronounced the word a few weeks ago, it was tetelestai. And I think I said tetelestai. But anyway, the idea is the balance has been paid in full. Jesus has done everything that was necessary for our salvation. We owe nothing more to God. He has paid in full for our salvation. Now, we owe God our lives because he did that for us. But he has paid our sin debt in full. And so the idea of perpetuation is that God has done this, this deliberate act of God. And so understand this, God's love initiated his action. And love is always shown by action. God's love, I want to make this clear, God's love will not save us. But the result of God's love will. God's love alone will not save us, but the results of God's love will. People say if God loves us, why don't he judge us? Or why does he judge us? Well, the reason is God is love in its perfection, but he is also justice in its perfection. The only way that those two can work in conjunction with one another is that God in his perfect love satisfied his need for perfect justice. And mankind had to be punished for sin, and they were judged and punished in the perfect man, Jesus Christ. And so God's love won't save us, but the results of God's love will. Oswald Chambers says it this way, in my utmost for his highest. Beware of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. God is so kind and loving that, of course, he will forgive us. That thought, based solely on emotion, 
cannot be found anywhere in the New Testament. The only basis on which God can forgive us is the tremendous tragedy of the cross of Christ. To base our forgiveness on any other ground is unconscious blasphemy. The only ground on which God can forgive our sin and reinstate us to his favor is through the cross of Christ. There is no other way. That's what Oswald Chambers says. And, and that's what the Bible says. That it's through the death of Jesus Christ that we are saved. God does love us and God demonstrated in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God demonstrated his love towards us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And so God through deliberate action and through his love did what was necessary for us to be saved. But it was only on the basis of the death of Jesus that we are saved. And so, God's love was demonstrated through intervening action. A lost world needs more than idle words. It needs intervening love from us. Now, let's kind of wrap it all up with these thoughts as Dave makes his way to the front. Do you know what love is? Do you know what love is? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. This love has been expressed. Romans 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his love towards us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. The proposal has been given. John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to be called the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. And it's very likely that some here today need to come and secure for themselves the love of God. Know the love of God personally. Christians, I'm going to say this. Love is an action. It's not sufficient to say I love God or I love my fellow Christian. Love demands actions from us. Love provokes actions from us. And we need to put our love, we need to put hands and feet on our love. If we say we truly love God and we love the lost, then we need to be engaging the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that will save. And so we need to put our love, or rather take our love out of neutral and put it in drive. Our love needs to be in action. And last off, forgiveness of sin and acceptance. If you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. I want you to know that love is available to you, that you can receive the forgiveness of sins. You can be accepted by the Creator of this universe this morning because God acted in the person of Jesus Christ. And God's wrath burned against him so that you can be saved. I heard a story. So these two guys, they were out in the Australian bush. And there was a wildfire that broke out. They looked ahead, there's fire ahead. They looked to the right, there's fire to the right. Look to the left, there's fire to the left. They look behind them, there's fire behind them. It, it seems as though it was absolutely inescapable. There was no way that they could get out of there without going through fire. And so the second guy that was there, he said, hey, do you have a match? 
He said, what? He said, do you have a match? And he said, yeah. He, so he took the match and he struck it and he threw it into the grass right in front of them. And so the grass right in front of them burnt this big circle out. And once it had burned, he said, now step in the circle. Because fire can't burn where it's already burnt. Here's what you need to understand today. Jesus is the perpetuation for our sins. There's no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. God's wrath has already burned against us in Jesus Christ. And all we've got to do is step into that circle where God's wrath has already burned. Now, I know some of you think, man, there's got to be more to it than that. Surely there's got to be some, some rituals that I've got to go through. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to turn over a new leaf. No, that's it. Jesus did it all. You just got to step into the circle. If you try to get there any other way, you will find yourself in an inescapable fire. Trust Jesus today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace and your mercy, but you are a benevolent, loving Father. And Lord, in spite of my sin and my rebellion against you, Lord, you stepped into human history. You suffered as I suffer. You grieve as I've grieved. Lord, you have been tempted as I've been tempted yet without sin. And Lord, you became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross that I may be set free through your resurrected life. And Lord, I pray this morning if there's anyone here that's never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would quit depending on their good works. Lord, that they would not be seeking some religion with all the right mysteries and answers that they need, but Lord, that they would trust and rely and fall upon the solid rock of Jesus that cannot be shaken, the power of his resurrected life this morning. Lord, I pray for us as those of us that call upon your name, we talk about love and we sing about love and we pray. And, but Lord, help us to put our love into action. Show us what we need to do to make an impact at Hazelwood Baptist Church, in the city of Hazelwood, in the various cities that we all live in, in the people that we come in contact with. Lord, let them see our love at work for your glory. For we pray and ask all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.